you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to the book of Acts. As we turn to God's Word, let's go to Him once again and ask for His help through prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we, your people, are thirsty and hungry. We have attempted to satisfy our thirst and hunger with the things of this world. But sooner or later, they come up empty. And yet, Father, your word is what we need. Indeed, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So, Father, would you speak to your people through your word by your spirit and may you enable your people to hear and in hearing understand and in understanding put your word into practice for we pray in Jesus name amen we're at week number seven in our series looking back at our history moving forward in our mission uh, an exposition of the book of acts I want you to look at the title. Sometimes I spend more time on the title. Sometimes I get it wrong. Um, But I I spend a lot of time on the title. It helps me stay oriented, and I hope it will you. Um, What in the world is the church? What in the world is the church? It's a good question to ask, and it's a good answer to know. Now, there are a few definitions or descriptions uh, from the Bible. Uh, The Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, the bride of Christ, Ephesians chapter 5, the building of God, 1 Peter chapter 2, the household of God, 1 Timothy 3, the foretaste of heaven, Hebrews chapter 12, just to name a few. Now, these are all good and true descriptions as they are other words to help us understand what we mean when we say the church. But let's focus the question on today's text and see what emerges from our text in Acts. Now, remember, Acts is this bridge between the four Gospels and the letters of the New Testament. Acts is a selective record of all that Jesus continued to do and teach now by the Holy Spirit. Is it the acts of the Holy Spirit or is it the acts of the apostles? Well, if you just say acts of the Holy Spirit, you, it might be too much emphasis on the divine. But if you say the acts of the apostles, it might be seen as too much on the man side. I think that good title that one of my professors came up with is this, The Acts of the Exalted Christ by the Holy Spirit in the Church, founded by Him through the Apostles. Acts, regardless of you think Acts of the Holy Spirit or Acts of the Apostles, should remind us all that God acts. In history, he has acted in history, and it's a reminder that Christianity at its heart is unlike any other man made religion. At its heart, Christianity is what God has done, He has acted. 
not what we have to do. Now, to be sure, there are things to do, but it comes after a recognition of what God has done for us in Christ. Now, Luke has written Luke and Acts. And in Luke, you have the incarnation, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. And in Acts, you start with the ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Pentecost, that second annual uh, harvest festival for the Jewish community, 50 days after Passover. In other words, there were 40 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus where Jesus was with his disciples and then he ascends to heaven and there's a 10-day waiting period waiting for the promise of the Father, the coming of the Holy Spirit. In the past few weeks, we've looked at the event of Pentecost, chapter 2, the first 13 verses, the explanation of Pentecost, Peter's sermon from verses 14 through 36, and then finally, uh, last week, the effect of Pentecost, verses 37 through 41. Well, what was the effect of Peter's sermon, of the proclamation of the gospel, this first, as we saw last week, Easter sermon? Well, when the Word of God and the Spirit of God are at work, they produce three things. A conviction of sin, a confession of faith, and in so doing, they work together to build a congregation of believers. In other words, they, that is the Word and Spirit, build the church. They gather and they grow believers. Now, was the church born at Pentecost? That's a good question. Is it the birthday of the church? Well, how do you like this answer? Yes and no. No, it's not the birthday of the church because the church, as the people of God, goes back at least all the way to Abraham, the man of faith, if not before. But yes, because what happens at Pentecost is that God's people become the Spirit-filled body of Christ. Pentecost is the time of the creation of a new family that's defined not by natural, but rather by supernatural birth. Not physically, but spiritually. And God's people, the church, are related not by genetics, but rather by relation to and allegiance to Jesus. Now, Acts 2, 42 through 47, that we'll look at today, is a summary account of the activities and the attitudes of the church in Jerusalem. Now, this, throughout Acts, you will see both high drama and daily life. And here's a description of the daily community life of the church. First and foremost, I want us to notice, it's a description of the church's life where the work of the Spirit is evident. So let's listen to Acts 42 through 47. I'll begin in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together 
and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, what do we see here? In in verse 42, you see four activities, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Because you see, what the church does is a direct result of what the church is. And these verses, 42 through 47, provide a fourfold description of the church as a learning, loving, worshiping, and witnessing community. Now, I made a mistake in that the outline went into the bulletin before the sermon kind of was, came together. And so it's going to be a completely different outline, and I'll, I'll provide that in just a moment. But it is helpful just for a moment to, to review this fourfold description of the church that was part of a mini-series back in August and September of 2015. And in the email that I sent out, I linked to where you can listen to those four messages. But we saw that the church is a learning church. It's like a a school that meets in the classroom. It's made up of students, new believers, taught by the teachers, the apostles, and using a curriculum, the Word of God, the Word that Jesus had taught them, and the Word of the Hebrew Scriptures. It's not only a learning church, a learning community, it's a loving church. Community. It's a family. It's moving from the classroom into the family room. It's devoted to the fellowship, the koinonia, the common life that believers share in Christ and because of that with one another. So the church is like a school. It's, it's like a family. And, and, and the church is also a worshiping community. In other words, it's, it's like a church. It's, it's moved now from the classroom into the family room, and now it's in the sanctuary. And you will see in this passage well-balanced worship that's both formal and informal. It's in the temple, it's in the home. It's joyful. They were filled with glad and generous hearts, but it was also reverent because all fell on every soul. But for our purposes today, we're not going to focus on this fourfold description, but rather a twofold description of the church. Notice the question again what in the world is the church? Notice it's in the world, not of the church. Do you all know what the name of our denomination is? Has anybody ever figured out what PCA stands for? Well, you know, most people, when they write it out, they say Presbyterian Church of America. But you know what? That's not correct. Because it was a deliberate choice to say not the Presbyterian Church of America, but rather the Presbyterian Church in America. Not of America, but located here in America. And it's significant to keep that in mind, that what we are looking at, certainly in a moment, is the church that's not of the world. It's of the word. 
But most certainly it is in the world. The church is the spirit-filled body of Christ, a community of people at worship and in fellowship. The church is a community of people who worship God and who welcome one another. You see, the church focuses in two directions. First and foremost, the church is a people-oriented toward God in worship. And so the basic outline is worship and welcome. The church is a community of people in the world, but not of the world, who worship God. Who worship God. Now, let's contrast that right off the bat with worship of the world. Anybody remember the Grace and Peace postcard? What does it say on the front? To be human is to what? Worship. It's a great statement, right? To be human is to worship. And then it follows up with a question. Who or what are you worshiping? Because everybody worships. And as Paul makes really clear in the first few verses of Romans chapter 1, that the world has exchanged the worship of the Creator with the worship of the creation. And the world has suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. And the world has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So the world really does worship. Your neighbor worships. Your coworker worships. Your teammate worships. Your classmates worship. It's not a matter of do they or do they not worship. The issue is who or what do they worship. Well, we see that the church first and foremost, worships God. You'd think that that's a no-brainer. You would think that that doesn't need to be said. But look around. Is the church worshiping God? Well, the church participates in informed worship because Christianity is a revealed religion. It is a faith that has been made known. It comes from the outside of us. And notice... At the beginning, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They're devoted, continuously, attached like glue, kind of like earlier they were devoted to prayer. We've read in, first, in chapter 1. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. And what are the apostles teaching? They're teaching the Word of God because... Before you get to worship, it's got to be a ministry of learning. There's got to be a theological depth. It's a vital sign of the church. Because for the church, the route through the heart and hands first goes through the mind. Remember what Paul says in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, they say, that what, what's the route to a man's heart? It's through his stomach, right? Well, for the Christian, the route to our hearts and our hands, what we, as it were, uh, have affection for and what we do, first goes through the mind, what we believe. And so you see that worship is guided and guarded by the Word, by the Apostles' teaching. 
the content of worship. It's the teaching of the apostles and the context of worship. It's in the fellowship. Interestingly, as I worked my way through the original language, it's the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The fellowship. Worship. It's the revelation of God and the response of His people. And as you see how this life is described, it's well-balanced. There's not an either-or to worship, but a both-and. It's formal. It's in the temple. Organized religion did not get thrown away. No. It was formal, but it was also informal. It was in homes. They met. They ate. And as we'll see, there's... Mainly the, the breaking of bread refers to the Lord's Supper, an early way to describe the Lord's Supper, but also they met for meals in homes as well. And it's amazing that today, yes, today we will celebrate the Lord's Supper and we will also have a common meal together after the service. And it's a joyful worship. There are glad and generous or sincere hearts and it's reverent, all is present. The, the apostles are doing miraculous signs and wonders. We're going to also talk about worship in a moment because it's also in the context of the fellowship. But before we move on, I want us to ask the question, how, how are we doing at worship? Are we worshiping God to get right with God? Or are we worshiping God because we have been declared right? And by the power and work of the Holy Spirit, we are increasingly transformed, as it were, to be more and more right. How are we doing at worshiping God? So we see in these verses that the church is a community of people who not only are turned toward God in worship, they are also oriented and turned toward one another in welcome. Notice, they are devoted to the teaching and the fellowship. If you would turn with me to 1 John. 1 John, a few years ago we worked our way through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And I want us to read... Uh, Verse 3, or let me read verse 3. I'm actually going to start with verse 1. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's talking about, of course, Jesus the Son. And he says in verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. They're devoted to the fellowship. Of the apostles. And the apostles have a fellowship with God the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. And they share in that. 
So earlier we talked about the world worships. Well, you know what? The world welcomes also. I was uh, the other day dropping um, Matthew off at a, a friend's house. And inside the door was a banner that said, welcome. It almost like, is this a business or a house? Well, as I stepped inside and got to visit uh, his classmate's mother, no, there was a genuine welcome. She was glad I was there. She was glad Matthew and other boys were there. The welcome was out and it was matched by an attitude. Now, the world welcomes, doesn't it? The world welcomes those who love it. Jesus in Matthew 5 and Luke 6 speak of how easy it is to love those who love you, isn't it? Even sinners do that. And, and it's easy to, to return to people what they give you, right? You see, the world welcomes people who love the world. But Jesus has something to say about that, doesn't he? Do not love the world or anything in the world. Or actually, is that John? Well, it's John, I think, expressing what Jesus taught. It's easy. It's easy, but it's hard initially to love and welcome in the church. D.A. Carson writes this, The church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together not because they have all, excuse me, because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe Him a common allegiance. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Interesting, isn't it? Right after he says um, that the pagans and the Gentiles and the sinners love those who love them, Jesus commands us to love our enemies. And Carson rightly says that at first, when you think about it, Christians are a bunch of natural enemies. We are united not by the fact that we all like to fish or shop online or watch sports. We're united by Christ, faith in Christ. And so, when it comes to the church being a people who welcome one another, who welcome one another into one another's lives, there is two kinds of unity. There's an invisible, but nonetheless real unity in Christ. In Christ. Um, kids, do you know what's on the seal of the United States written in Latin? Anybody know what that is? I'll give you a hint. E, what? Pluribus unum. Anybody want to translate that? From many, one. What a great description of the church. From many, many people, many nations, it's one. It's one. There's an invisible unity in Christ. And Paul in his letters writes over and over and over about what it means to be in Christ. 
Ed Clowney in his book, The Church, says this, Those whom the Spirit unites to Christ, He unites to all others who are in Christ. When He makes God our Father, when He makes God our Father, He makes us brothers and sisters in the family of God. All who know God's salvation know it as members of the body of Christ. So there's an invisible unity that's real. It's in Christ, but there is a visible and most certainly a real unity in the church. And you see it. All who believed were together and had all things in common. If we had time, we could go on to say that this is not communism. This is not uh, a call to sell all you have. No, it's a... It's a call to recognize who's in need and help. And you see this at the beginning of the church. Those of you have heard me speak about my friend uh, friend Wayne, who was my spiritual mentor, leader of my staff team with the U.S. Military Ministry of Navigators. Wayne married Michelle and me, and I sadly officiated his funeral a few years ago. Well, Wayne... uh, said this, unity is not the uniting of ideas, but the uniting of hearts made possible only by the humbling of hearts. And you see that, a uniting of hearts here. And you'll see it unpacked in the letters to the churches of a call to humility. And again, look at verse 40. Four, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Wayne used to also say this, I'll never forget it. If you want to be together, you've got to get together. If you want to be together, you've got to get together. And what a challenge that is for us today. How do we as a church get together? Of course, do not forsake the assembly, do not, do not neglect public corporate worship. Of course, we're getting together, and that is good and wonderful, but how do we get together the rest of the week? In prayer, in visits, in study, in fellowship, in discipleship. If y'all have got some ideas of how a church where people are scattered can nonetheless get together in order to be together, please let me, let the elders know. That's something certainly we need to work on, getting together. And you see in this togetherness, breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. The Lord is adding to their number. You you see what Paul says in Galatians. You see faith working through love. It's not specifically spelled out, but you can't help but notice that these people that earlier would have agreed with putting Jesus to death have through the ministry of the word and spirit now become no longer Jesus' enemy but his friend, his ally and they're beginning to love one another. I've heard it said before that you don't need the church to become a Christian 
But most certainly you need the church to be a Christian, to live as a Christian. And you, you see that here in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So we asked ourselves a moment ago, how are we doing at worshiping God? Ask yourself, how are we doing at welcoming one another? And my friends, as, as Paul writes to the Thessalonians, you're doing good, keep doing good. It is so great to say you all do a great job in welcoming people. Keep at it. Keep it up. Well, as I said earlier, we would focus on just a twofold description. Well, that is somewhat impossible because a church that is worshiping God and welcoming one another is also a church that is witnessing to the world. There's an upward focus in worship, an inward focus in welcome, and together they cannot but lead to an outward focus in witness. And so for just a minute or two, let's consider what worship and welcome cannot but lead to. Witness, that is outreach in evangelism and missions. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, it's the Lord's work to convert. It's the, wor the, the Lord's work to change somebody's heart. It's the Lord's work to, 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 to convict of sin, to assure of salvation and forgiveness in Christ. But it's our calling to proclaim. It's our calling to teach and preach and share. You see, God has established the church for the gathering and perfecting of the saints. And he's also established the church, interestingly, as Paul would say, as a display of his wisdom. You see, he writes to the Ephesians, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the world. Now, those of you that are familiar with the Bibles, what does... Uh, what does the wisdom of God often look like to the world? Foolishness, yeah. But it's through the church that the manifold witness wisdom of the world is made known. God displays, in other words, His wisdom in the establishment and ongoing life of the church. So a question that should be asked by others and most certainly can be answered by us is this. But before I get to that question, remember this question. What in the world is the church? But here's the question that should be asked by others and it most certainly can be answered by us. Who on earth are you? Who on earth are you? Have, you? have you all ever encountered that question? Has anybody ever punched you and you hesitated and said words to the effect, I can't punch you back. And they go, who on earth are you? 
Have you ever been tempted to, when the cashier gives you too much money back in the grocery store, have you ever been tempted to walk away and say, their fault? Or have you been rightly convicted to walk back and say, you know what? You gave me too much money. I cannot take that which is mine. And the cashier says, who on earth are you? Young people, when you're out and away from your parents and somebody is inviting you to do something that you know goes against the Word of God and it goes against your conscience and you are getting ready to do it and you ask God for strength and help and you say no and that person who is tempting you says, who on earth are you? You able to provide an answer? By God's grace, we will all be able to say something like this. I am no longer my own. But I've been bought with a price. I belong to Jesus Christ. He has rescued me and he now rules me. Every so often, it's the Heidelberg Catechism. Number one, I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And because I belong to Christ, I belong to the church. I belong to others. And finally, what is the motivation that we have to worship God, to welcome one another, and to witness? What's the motivation? Well, the motivation is that which these people heard on the day of Pentecost. They heard the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. You see, they can worship God and welcome one another and have fellowship. Why? Because for a time, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit lost fellowship. So that God could welcome us and we could welcome one another. We could worship Him. We could welcome one another. And in doing so, we would witness to the world. You see, in this moment, these people are reeling from the preaching of the gospel. The gospel that has convicted them and the gospel that has comforted them. They can say and understand what Paul wrote to the Roman church. Glorify God with one heart and voice. In other words, worship Him and welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. My friends, I trust and pray that you know the welcome of Jesus that comes through faith and trust in Him. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this description of what in the world is the church. And we thank You, Father, that You have taken the church, as it were, out of the world 
but we are placed in the world. We are not of the world. Oh, Father, help us to be men and women and boys and girls who worship you from the heart according to your revealed truth. Help us, Father, to welcome one another, all kinds of people who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. And Father, as we worship and as we welcome, would you enable us more and more to witness to the world around us of the life that comes only through faith in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.